Hello there everyone, this is Dan Fagella here with Tech Emergence where we bring you to the intersection of technology and psychology. We've talked a good deal on the neurological side in the last little bit. We've interviewed uh, companies like Think and Muse and we've had uh, folks on board from the, the real pure neuroscience side of things. Now we're going to be diving into bioethics. I'm lucky enough right now to have one of America's foremost bioethicists on the line with me right now is a professor of medical ethics and the history and sociology of science at the University of Pennsylvania, my own alma mater, as well as being author of Mind Wars, among other books on the same topic, Mr. Jonathan Moreno. Jonathan, how are you? Good. Good to be with you. Yes, yes, indeed. I, uh, you know, I had heard you speak recently at a conference, and obviously Mind Wars is a book that I have my own copy of. Um, I wanted to, to ask a little bit, you know, the... The, the domain of brain-machine interface and a good deal of sort of the, the future and kind of extensions of human capacity is funded by, as, as you had mentioned, DARPA and, and a lot of the, the kind of defense and, and military applications. Um, and of course, the overt side of that, you know, they don't, they're, not, uh, they're not funding these universities saying, you know, hey, make some developments so we can create super soldiers. You know, of course, that's not actually what, what, what's being stated, but, but they're, yeah. they're still the ones sort of behind the funding um, how much do you think, or, or how, how do you think that that changes kind of the flavor or the direction of the research um, when that's where it's coming from, if at all? So hard to say, Dan. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I think um, what DARPA is trying to do in, in all their areas is sort of push current technology as far ahead as they can, as, as quickly as, as they can. Uh, and sometimes they they do that and successfully, and sometimes they don't. Yep. Uh, I, 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 the, the mandate, of course, is for the national security establishment, including DARPA, to uh, protect us. Yep. Up to the point at which the political system says, you know, go go no further. Yep. Um, so I don't think that DARPA has a better sense of where any of its research areas are going than anybody else does, really. Mm. Um, some of what they do uh, does translate uh, you know, pretty directly into uh, stuff that can be implemented rather quickly. Um, for example, in the area of neuroscience, um, they, they take uh, EEG technology, they, uh, they expose some, um, some trainees to some uh, images and they try to see if they can help those people identify potential items of interest in those images uh, more accurately uh, and more efficiently than is usually the case. Mm -hmm. they've, they've claimed that they've had success with that. But what I think is interesting is that well, that's EEG, which has been around for decades. Yep. So, you know, uh, very often what they do is they, they take... Um, as do many people, by the way, in, in neuroscience or neurotechnology, they take existing technologies in different domains and they see how they can put them together. The, the more cutting-edge stuff uh, is really um, not, for the most part, being done by DARPA. It, 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 some of it is. But in neuroscience, so much of it is being done through uh, NIH uh, with an eye toward helping design uh, systems that might be able to help provide better treatments for you know, Alzheimer's disease, yep, yep. for example, dementias. Um, our DARPA is very engaged in neuroprosthetics, uh, and so here we have a very you know, interesting uh, example of the way that civilian needs 
drive the whole system. Um, it's, it's, in other words, not just military, but of course people who have lost a limb uh, who are not in the military, have never been, never will, yep. uh, you know, could also benefit. My mother, who is now 98 years old, wow. uh, is an amputee, has been uh, for, uh, for you know, the better part of her life uh, uh, of the right arm at the clavicle due to cancer. And um, she's never been able to wear a prosthetic arm because there wasn't enough bone left. It would have just been hanging at her side. Um, so some of the stuff that DARP is doing, of course, motivated by concerns about the men and women coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, but also you know, quite aware that this can help everybody who has lost a limb. So that the, the, the impetus very often doesn't come from national security needs, although clearly it can move in that direction. Yeah. It can come from the civilian medical world. This is why this is such a you know, complicated stuff. Uh, because you can't say, oh, they're just doing it for uh, to make super soldiers. Well, no, no, not quite yeah. that way. No, certainly. And, and and as a sidebar, I mean, I uh, I I don't I don't have any inherent or sort of overt conspiracy theories around DARPA or anything along those lines. I think some folks they say DARPA and they they sort of immediately go into you know conspiracy world robot warrior takeover stuff I, I i'm not throwing a positive or a negative light on them i'm just saying you know what, what does their source of the bucks uh sort of mean in terms of an influence in the direction of science um as what they are very good at uh is identifying people who are doing uh very interesting work that just maybe you know needs a little a little bit of a boost uh over the valley of death yep um and there's no question that they're good at that. And they're very good at moving people through the system. So you can't sit on your butt indefinitely and fund your lab through them. You know, they, they're, they're, very, they're, they're very milestone-oriented. Um, so, uh, and, and it's also important to remember, as you know, that DARPA is, a, is a, only a $3 billion operation. Yeah. It made tens of billions of dollars de defense department. Yep. Um, so, and Congress, interestingly enough, is always eyeing them, uh, really wanting them not to be so so over over the horizon, but a little a little more uh, uh, closer to what can actually be put into the field. And and they tend, in my interpretation, is to resist that. They really want to try to be a little more speculative than often the politicians want them to be. Yeah, um, and that that makes makes sense i suppose i think if you're working there probably so there's so much curiosity around the farther reaches and if you're a politician and you're concerned with what data day-to-day fo -day folks are concerned with that's exactly right your constituents are worried about particularly these days exactly TBI and so forth. yep um so curious and and so uh it's it sounds as though in, to some degree it reminds me a little bit of kind of the the startup or, or other business worlds, it's not necessarily a, a military impetus that drives the technology. They have to ride the current demand and the current trends around what is already being developed for civilian needs, as you had mentioned. So they may have, you know, an exoskeleton project they really want to work on, but they don't have to have a purely military jump over a building exoskeleton, you know, project only that, that has nothing to do with regular civilians. They they can yeah. ride along with the great prosthetics work and yes. neuroprosthetics work that's that's already happening with civilians. It's almost like, you know, the folks who are working away on robotics, to some degree, for their sensors and for their cameras, 
they had to sort of hop on to what's happening in the in the mobile world, you know, with mobile phones. That exactly. those are really the people that develop the tech because that's where the demand is. That's where the right. money wants to flow. So right. so they sort of have to ride the channels of existing demand. It's it's curious to think that, of course, the you know in the government the government's funding world, it's very similar almost to larger industry in general. Yeah. In that yeah, sense. That, yes, uh, that's that's I think all that is very true. The, the you know the knowledge flow uh, is very is a very complicated matter. I think a lot of people think, and you sort of suggested this, that, that you, know, we, you and I don't agree, but there are people who believe that there are sort of mad DARPA scientists working in a basement in Northern Virginia. <laughs> uh, and that's just not the way the world is. Yeah. Uh, so much of what comes up that does turn out to be useful, and this is not only now, but in the history of national security, comes out of other, uh, other sectors of human activity. Um, you know, one one area that you we, you and I talked about recently that I'm very interested in, for example, is the new hallucinogens that, yep. uh, particularly uh, drugs like LSD, which came out of a pharmaceutical company. It was really a guy who was messing around doing basic research in the late '30s, um, and then it got to became uh, something that attracted the attention of the, uh, the counterintelligence world. Because people worried it could be used as a, as a truth serum in the 1950s. Well, it turns out that the alcohol works a lot better than LSD or any of the other hallucinogens if you want to get somebody to talk about things they shouldn't talk about. Yeah, and we've um, known that for a long time, I think. Yeah, this is, this is not news. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I do tend uh, to be uh, cautious in my assessments of what, uh, what the intentions are and uh, also, mm. in what can actually be done. Me, uh, me too, me too. I, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy. Th if I had a reason to be, maybe I would be, but I, I like to lean uh, on, on kind of the brighter side, and I also think that, that it'd be sort of silly to, to start off with those kind of uh, suppositions. Uh, next, John, I wanted to, to ask some of your thoughts on, on uh, technologies now that are beginning to sort of extend human potential and, and, and which... Which maybe you're paying attention to, or that, or that you think are, are legitimately influential. And and by this, by extending human potential, I don't just mean, um, you know, being able to, uh, you know, close a robotic fist or something along those lines. Although I think that that's interesting. There's there's a lot of you know some of your work has to do with tinkering with things like emotion and memory, real literal constituents of self, uh, and and potentially our mental capacity. You had mentioned the EEG experiments around you know, helping these folks, um, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of ones, aren't there? You know, staying awake, uh, doing better on math problems, uh, identifying particular kinds of objects and, and some kind of a test along those lines. Um, some of this, certainly not tomorrow, but some of this could potentially extend into, not in any kind of dark or bad way, but some, some degree of a transhuman type transition when we're talking about, you know, potentially augmenting memory, potentially volitionally modulating and tinkering with emotion. Uh, there, there would certainly be a market for that if that was available uh, today. Um, yeah. which, which of these technologies that, that are kind of tinkering with what's upstairs, do you think maybe, and you don't have to say an exact time frame, but in the, the coming decades, plural, um, may start to, to kind of be the most uh, eminent ones in terms of blurring sort of that transhuman line, extending our, our emotive, our cognitive uh, uh, you know, relative capacities of, of our minds. So first let me make a, a big historical comment. Great. Uh, it's very interesting that when people use the phrase human potential 50 years ago, 40 years ago, when I was in high school and <laughs> college, uh, they were talking about 
what you might call you know spiritual uh, openness, spiritual awareness. Yes. Uh, today, when we talk about human potential, uh, particularly in the context of what people call transhumanism, uh, it seems to be more performance or, you know, oriented, cognitive cognition or skill oriented, and skills in terms of uh, the way we can function more efficiently in the physical world. So I find that that change, you know, quite interesting. Hmm. Uh, and it, it, I believe that at some point we will go back to a more, uh, shall we say, spiritual orientation toward human, to the realization of uh, in, expanded human potential. Um, but to your point, so there are these very interesting, uh, what you may call neuromodulation experiments going on yes. in laboratories with, with rodents. And the... The, the behaviors that you might associate with uh, with memory uh, are, it seems, manipulable through some of these technologies. Yep. Uh, some of them uh, are technologies uh, that actually uh, poke fiber optic cables into the brains of the rodents. Yep. Uh, they're capable of, of also, it seems, of modifying behaviors that have to do with uh, uh, with uh, sex, with violence, with, with, with exploratory behavior in the cage. Uh, uh, and so they are being done in these very controlled settings with, with rodents. rodents yeah. um, a problem, of course, is that there's a big difference between us and uh, our brains and rodent brains. That's true. Uh, what is being learned about some of those pathways may someday turn out to be manageable through medication or through some other non-invasive stimulatory technology. Yep. But at the moment, I don't think anybody believes there's anything, even on the medium-term horizon. I think it, it, may, be, it may be that a new class of, uh, of, of medications might be based on what can be learned about, for example, uh, uh, eating behavior. Uh, that that is something that people are able to manage. Yeah, we, we got an issue on that one for sure. That is a big problem, as you know, for both both obesity and um, and you know eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia. Um, our, the medications are very poor. The therapies really are, are you know very difficult to implement. There's a high failure rate. Uh, people die. Uh, so uh, perhaps uh, you know you asked me a time frame: twenty years, thirty. There yeah, might yeah, be yeah. Uh, clinical trials on medications that can address those kinds of problems, but uh, and you yeah. think even just in medication, so like uh, the memory prosthetic, for example, that they're tinkering around with primates, even even that kind of thing, you think that we'd boil down into something more non-invasive and still would be so. decades away for uh, people. I think so, and remember, of course, you know there is the that annoying problem of uh, medical ethics. Yes, uh, yes, so, oh yeah, you know, what it would yeah. Yeah, so when you start doing these things to human beings, um, you're in a whole other area than when you're doing with, with even with primates. And much of that work, of course, is very objectionable to many people. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, now, of course, you can't rule out the possibility that, you know, somebody in a, somewhere else is going to try to do something. And, uh, the medical ethics rules are for people who, who really aren't sure how far they should go what the social consensus is, and they really want to follow the rules. Yep. But, you know, there are people who may push on it. Um, we've seen that recently with the so-called gene editing technology and the, the, the group in, in China that uh, did do a, a modification of DNA in an embryo, though 
they made sure that they used embryos that could never become a fetus. Uh, and there's a debate about whether even that was acceptable. So um, I'm not saying that there aren't people who are going to push the envelope, uh, perhaps beyond where the consensus says they should. But uh, there are some things that are, that are going to be so difficult to do. And, and, and that uh, innovating, not just inventing, but you know, getting them into a medical system yep. or to a reliable cultural system, uh, a consumer system, that's going to be really hard. And I think we're so, as I am, I'm so fascinated by the, by the neuroengineering experiments that are going on in labs that you know, we jump ahead many steps when we think that these are things that are going to be, going to be integrated uh, into the society. Um, very much like the excitement that people had in the, in the early 90s about the genome project and, and how far genetics could go. Or virtual um, reality or whatever the case may be, right? Right. And, and, and I think we are going to, clearly, virtual reality in itself is not hard to do. But uh, what, you know, is it, is, is, you know, as, as you well know, is putting some, uh, 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 some kind of technology, some kind of device over your eyes, uh, is that any better than sitting in your in your living room where you, with a nice big screen and a, and, and, and good surround sound? Yep. Uh, I mean, I, just to take Google Glass as an example, uh, it turns out that you know we can't always predict what people are going to go for. Nope. Uh, and I think the same thing is going to be true for many of these uh, enhancements. We're going to ask ourselves, well, okay, is this better than a cup of coffee? Um, is it worth it? Is it you know is it worth the downside? There'll always be a downside. Um, is it worth the expense? So uh, I, I think that's it, right? I mean, it's the same with cars. I mean, there the probably yeah, some early cars. Car. It's like, why am I going to sell my horse, buddy? You know, this thing ain't good. Right, and uh, and then you know, the, so automobiles work for various reasons, but flying cars didn't for various. Did not. Reasons. Oh. Uh, so um, it's more. There's a lot of cool stuff that has been done for decades in labs that has has never changed the world, uh, and much of this is going to be true for the neurotechnology as well. Though some undoubtedly will. And back to DARPA. Uh, you know, when they started the ARPANET in the, in the late 60s, there was no method for anticipating how it was going to change the society. So they're not necessarily any better at being able to see how things are going to change, are going to change, or what's really going to work than anybody else's. No, no secret oracles in the DARPA basements. Uh, that's a real no. shame. I was right. crossing my fingers on that one. Um, in, in, in closing then, John, uh, the, the technologies, so... You know, neuromodulation on, on your end, I mean, even, even looking three de decades down the line, may be two-pipe dreamish, at least from, from kind of what you're stating now, at, from, from your own perspective there. Um, in terms of the, uh, the neuro or the EEG um, technologies that, that, that you think may have a possibility to make the grandest impact in, in the coming maybe decade or two, do you see that being more of the consumer-based concerns around things like ALS or, or um, uh, you know, Alzheimer's or, or, or the developments in that the, space? A good target, I think, Dan, uh, is, uh, uh, is depression, um, perhaps with transcranial magnetic stimulation. I think that's very promising. Uh, those are never going to be consumer devices. They're too, they're, they're too unwieldy and they're, yeah. and they're going to be expensive. Uh, but I think that as an alternative to uh, ECT for people with intractable depression, I think TMS is really coming along very quickly. Uh, but for enhancements, and here's the difference between, you know, therapy yes. is easier to do, it seems, than enhancements. For enhancements, uh, transcranial recurrent stimulation, which is inexpensive, uh, it, I think uh, I, I, the jury, to put it very mildly, is, is definitely very much out on TDCS. 
uh, for enhancements. I mean, I think pe people believe that they're smarter or sharper uh, after they give themselves uh, a little bit of a jolt, but I doubt it very much at this point. So, I, but I think that for depression, I think uh, TMS is, is very promising. So treatments, treatments still as, as sort of where the, well, I, I, I suppose most of science goes to amelioration as opposed to enhancement, but treatments yeah. being sort of a bigger, bigger change area in the decades ahead. And I think obviously changes in, in the treatment of depression would be a rather big deal. John, I, I appreciate you being able to share your insights here with us at Tech Emergence. Again, everybody, this is Jonathan Moreno, uh, author of the book Mind Wars. Jonathan, thanks for being here. Thank you, Dan. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, then be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>